Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good morning, Ned. Ciao, Davide. Where are you? I'm in Termoli, where the sand meets the sea, meets the sun, meets the morning. It's Friday, folks, and the weekend is slipping on its slides and heading for the Scooby-Doo Beach. Don't forget to slap on the sun cream and avoid the temporary parking restrictions in place due to the arrival in town of the Giro d'Italia bicycle race. Expect minor delays on the Via Kennedy, the Via Bologna, and the Via dei Tuliponi. Highs of 21 degrees this afternoon as we ease our way into the weekend. And to get you in the mood... Here's Van Halen. Never Strays Farfalle is brought to you by Chapter 3 and The Roadbook. Chapter 3 was created by David Miller in 2015 with the vision of creating cycling clothing that he would wear as a retired racer. Now they've made cycling kit to meet you wherever your ride takes you. And the good news, it's launching next month. In 2018, a team of dedicated enthusiasts delivered the inaugural edition of the Roadbook Cycling Almanac, an annual publication supplying data, essays and anecdotes from the racing calendar. The Roadbook has become the definitive companion of any serious fan of the sport. Documenting how the season bounced back from the pandemic, the latest 2020 edition has arguably never had such an important place on our bookshelves. Between us, we're giving away four full sets of Chapter 3's new kit, two men's and two women's, as well as four signed copies of the 2020 roadbook. Plus, four sets of caps and socks with RB exercise book and musette. Bookmark as a secondary prize. All you have to do is head to the episode notes and click the link. Are you still excited, Ned? Well, here's the question. I don't know if I'm more excited than you, because you were quite vocal on the socials last night, claiming to be, mm. claiming to be excited. I was very excited. I mean, I'm, I'm actually following this. I mean, I, once again, yesterday, I couldn't really um, watch it because I was road tripping. So you're following it in the sense but, um, that you haven't seen any of it? Yes. I'm like a um, remote fan. Um, You're like a medieval fan yeah. of the Giro d'Italia. That's you have to wait sort of very much three so. weeks until the town crier arrives in your village. Much like that. Stands there with yes. a bell and goes, oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. Gino Maida wins stage six. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's all good and well. Uh, the biggest thing that keep me, keeps me excited is Remco. Oh, you I think I've just turned into to a super fan. You've, we've got a... We've got to dig down into this a little bit, David, because I've never known in our years of commentating together, I've never known you kind of adopt a rider in quite the way. It's normally my role, isn't it? The Paddy. Yeah, it is actually. You and Paddy, Paddy Burden. It's Paddy a list Devin, quite long of yours, isn't it? It's quite there? long. Yeah, Paddy Burden mainly. Yeah. John Degenkolb, John- any German rider, to be fair. Buchmann. Ryan Taramey. Yeah. You liked Buchmann for a while as well, before you just got sick of his ghosting. Yeah. Ghosting into the GC and ghosting out of the GC. Yes. Um, just ghosting. <laughs> yeah. um, no, no, Remco, I just. I don't know. I find him exciting. I think maybe I'm just come of age where he could be my son. You know? Um, it's yeah. a fatherly, just pride. Um, and I just think he's, he's just another one ripping up the rule book. And it's just, it's 
bonkers. And I guess that's kind of the fun of it, isn't it? When you get a rider like that, he's, I mean, he's been off for eight months after that crash and he's just, he's, he can't even be close to his best. And he's just already looking like he's got to be the favorite for the Giro. It's a, I just find it such a madness and it's such an enjoyable madness to have some, uh, an athlete that good and, in the sport. And, and also, I, th- I think the kind of colossal fact, and it's not a floating fact, it's a, it's a sort of rock-solid fact, anchored fact, is that it's his first ever Grand Tour. I mean, I think that's just, I I think that's just astonishing. Because um, it, even, yeah. even, even Pog, at the Tour de France last year, even that, he'd had a dress rehearsal, hadn't he, at the Vuelta? He had a little, had a little bit of Vuelta action. You know. Yeah, and then I know it's... Um, it, 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 that's what I mean, it's just ripping up the rule book. And just when you think... One of these new generation riders is has just done something out of this world and, and is, has just changed the face of the sport and the expectations. And another one comes along and does something. And it seems that at the moment, Remco is the, um, you know, Pogard should like, make some mockery of anybody, everybody. And then you see Remco and you're like, oh my God, that's another one that's just crazy. So I, I just don't, I think it's really exciting. And I'm just glad I'm not in the palace on these days because it must be demoralising. It's amazing, wasn't it? That group of four in the GC race, that group of four who came over the line together, led by Bernal, um, Egan Bernal, Egan Bernal, as I've decided to say his Egan name, Bernal. Egan Bernal, who's looking fantastic. And if he is, if he has got back problems, they're not visible at the moment. Um, so there was a group of group of four with uh, Remco Bernal, um, Crosswind Stan. Brilliant ride from him, by the way, third place. And um, oh, Giulio nice. Ciccone, who's looking kind of a different Ciccone to what he's ever done before at a Grand Tour. He's going really well. But um, yeah, Egan, Egan Bernal sort of, he he animated that group and he led from the front in that group. And he won the sprint because he's got a really fast finish, which people always kind of forget. Um, hmm. But he did look, I mean, he did a lot of looking over his shoulder just to see what was, quite rightly, to see what was happening behind him. And every time he looked over the shoulder, he saw this kind of slightly poker-faced, pocket-rockety um, Remco, who so far has shown signs of of approaching this Giro d'Italia in an incredibly um, un-Remco-like way, in the sense that he seems determined to be conservative. Um, to be Restrained Remco. To be restrained, because... David, he's got, you know, if this continues deeper into next week and beyond next week, I think he's just got this kind of one and a half minutes in the, in the 30 kilometer time trial in his back pocket, you know? Yeah, it's true. And the longer it goes on, the more that just figures. Mind you, yeah, that was kind of what the Tour de France was like last year. And actually, that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, true. Pogaccio. That's exactly what happened. Just destroyed the last. That's exactly what happened. Anyway, let's go back to the start of your day yesterday. What happened with your run? God, there's always something, isn't there? Every, every mm. time I go out for a run, I, the first run I did was actually it was relatively incident-free in Turin. But then, if you remember, there was the incident with the lap wing. Ooh. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Ooh, that was really bad. Could have been really nasty. Could have had my eyes pecked out. I mean, I know you weren't there to see it, but take it from me, that could have been, you know, I could have haunting, haunting. <laughs> Could have ended up in a in an irrigation ditch by some paddy fields with my eyeballs pecked out, and a, and a lap then you had the, and a lap wing just cheekily sitting there, kind of gobbling them up. That's a that's a that's an arresting yeah. image, isn't it? Um, that is an arresting I image. Mean, it's, it's, it's captured for me. Um, and then you had the, the bubble run. Yeah, I had the bubble. <laughs> 
had the bubble run with the foaming legs. That was just, that wasn't so much haunting as, um, or dangerous as just a little bit humiliating. Um, and then, okay, haunting, humiliating. And then yesterday I, I ran away from my palazzo where we stayed yesterday, straight uphill into the Colli de, del Trento, um, that take their name from, you know, the same areas, Trento del, uh, what's it called? San Benedetto del Trento, which you know from the Terreno Adriatico. We are very close to that. Oh, yes. Ran up into mm. the hills away from the coast, straight uphill. And as I came close to this, hamlet with a little collection of houses i'm always extremely wary of um houses in italy in the countryside especially early in the morning david because i'm terrified of dogs and um uh, italian dogs terrify me more than more than most dogs actually because they can be quite barky a little bit bitey and they can be quite just rough around the edges and you know a bit loose and um on this occasion, though, I was reassured by the fact that the dog that I could see was tethered to a human being. Um, and the closer I got, though, I realised that the dog was absolutely enormous, of some indistinct European crossbreed that I couldn't recognise. Appeared to have appeared to be sort of part. Can I just inter- yeah. can I just interject there, Ned? Yeah. Um, when you say tethered to the human being, do you mean on a lead? It was on a lead. Okay. When I, when I came back down the hill later. It was na- it, the human being had gone, and it was tethered to a pole in a scrappy front garden, and and it had a chain round its neck, and was just running round and round in a kind of frenzy because that's quite often what they do with dogs in Italy. Lovely. Anyway, on this occasion, it was being it had been taken for a walk by a human being, but the human being, bless her, was a very frail and elderly old lady, and um, I've decided because I've been bitten in the past three times by dogs uh, once by a um a a, a a a terrier of some description on the ankles near plymouth uh, one once by a dog uh, in uh, near cromer in norfolk and once i've been bitten on the arse in my local park by a collie that came up and jumped up and bit me on the arse and drew blood Okay, so I've got a bit of track record uh, with dogs. So I approach this and I've decided my tactic is always to make um, eye contact and actually make conversation with the human being. Because I think if if me and the human being can sort of like signal to the dog that it's all cool and that, you know, the dog should just chill a bit, I think that's going to go some way towards defusing the tension in the situation. So with my limited Italian, I said to, I said to this elderly lady, I said, um, buongiorno, ciao, salve, I said, using the Roman phrase for uh, good morning. Um, and uh, she said, uh, buongiorno, buongiorno. And then she carried on talking. She carried on talking quite animatedly to the dog. And I became, as I approached, I became quite aware that she was increasingly kind of talking in quite fast, rapid Italian to the dog, uh, to the dog, not to me. And it was borderline. She started kind of shouting. And then she just stopped dead. And she was straining at the leash because the dog was full on barking at this point. It had gone into attack mode. And the dog probably weighed as much as she did. And it became completely apparent to me that she was right on the cusp of losing control of the animal <laughs> and she started she almost went down on her knees and was imploring and begging this at uh, this dog to relent and she was using her entire might to control this mutt at which point i stopped dead in the road and just stared at them like that so if you'd again if you'd kind of like come to this situation so you've seen a snapshot you would have seen you would have seen a, a middle-aged cycling commentator in ill-fitting running shorts just terrified and frozen to the spot and an elderly lady barely able to control a, a kind of frothing animal that appeared to be blind by the way it had sort of like marbled eyeballs it, and i pre- presume at this point you were literally um 
radiating uh, fear. Of course. You know all the things that you're so supposed to you're supposed to say, yeah, don't, you know, don't show any fear. Mm. How can I do that when I'm mm. absolutely terrified? It it not only could it it probably could see it in the blurry through its misty blinded eyes. Smell it, Dave. I'm sure Didn't, it could smell, did, it. Yeah, smell it. It would smell it. Literally smell it. Smell it. But um somehow I managed to get round and I'm here to tell the tale. So yeah, another run, mm, another I think you need rush to with death. This. This, this is a it's a little bit of a problem you have there with the dogs, I think you need to just I think the dogs need to sort uh, themselves out. Why is it you're, you're victim blaming? Yeah. The dogs of the I world need to have blaming. a word with themselves. Leave me alone, I'm just going for a run. Ah, uh, back to the race. Mm. So what actually happened? Mate Mate Morich from Byron Victorious. Remember Byron Victorious uh, lost Mikalanda yesterday. Uh, and then, yes. and then, and then they, two days ago now. Uh, yeah, two days ago. Sorry. And then they had to, um, they, they had to go to the podium as to actually genuinely stand on the podium as the super team. Cause they led the super team classification as they stood there. I guess they were kind of thinking in the backs of their minds, how do we rescue this race a little bit? Um, well, turns out you get two men in the breakaway on a really difficult stage. And Matty Mohoric was, was in, in the Pete Kenyuk fixer role in the breakaway, except, um, he was a super fixer. He just did this huge ride, um, getting Gino Meda. Do you remember Gino Meda, David? He was the Swiss rider who was caught on the line in Paris Nice from the breakaway by Primoz Roglic, who just Rogliched him. Do you remember? Oh, that, that was it. And then th- that was when the karma. That was the karma police, wasn't it? Came and got, came and got day, Roglic. Went yeah. Roglic. Yeah. 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 Well, Gino Meda was that guy. Um, and he was in the break, uh, uh, at the Giro. And, um, uh, yeah. And it didn't look like the break was really, cause Meda started the day 358 down on GC. So that meant that DeMarkey's team, Crosswind Stan's team, um, had to kind of ride a little bit and control it if they wanted to defend, uh, defend the jersey. Um, but anyway, over the top of the first two climbs of the day, and they went over this mountain range before dropping down to, in the middle of the stage. And then they had a 40 kilometer descent off this, off this ridge. But it, when they went over the ridge, there were two little peaks. And in between the two peaks, there were, um, there was like a plateau, right? And by this time, um, the wind had got up massively and it was really soaking wet as well. So there's really grim weather conditions. And on the plateau, Filippo Ganna went to the front of the bunch. So they kind of swept past the Israel startup nation, took control of the race Ineos with Ghana and started to rip the race apart. And guess what happened in the crosswinds? Esch- echelons. No way. So basically I've cursed myself by saying there'd never be any crosswinds in Italy. How long did it last for? Quite a while. I mean, it put that move, put Alessandro De Marchi out of the race. Um, Seriously? I yeah, I don't know. I don't know why DeMarkey was in such a poor position. Um, perhaps he's, he had a mechanical or something, but he was the wrong side of the big gap that emerged that, you know, d- detached a third of the peloton and they never got back. Oh, that's incredibly disappointing for him. It was sad that he never got to the foot of the final climb where, as we discussed yeah. yesterday, you know, he would have had a chance, I think, of holding on. And so it's a bit of a damp squib, really. Um, and Ineos just, oh. Ineos just carried on smashing it. It was inc- incredible performance. None of the big GC players, apart from Demarchi, you know, the, the Maliarosa himself w- were, were off the back, but they carried on anyway. All of which meant the Mohoric group at the front, 
probably wouldn't make it to the finish on because you know they didn't have they only had two minutes when they got to the final climb uh Moritz did his final turn on the final climb and then his teammate Gino Meda attacked uh, once he was done and rode away from the rest of the breakaway group um and held on and uh won the stage won the stage by 12 seconds from the GC race behind and when Matt Rendell, Rendellero, yeah, Lero, yeah, yeah. Uh, messaged me to tell me this kind of rather moving fact about Gino Meda, that he he discovered cycling when he was 16 uh, and used to kind of ride away on long rides on his own just simply to clear his mind and get away from uh, quite a difficult home life at home because his mum and dad were rowing and they were separating and they ended up divorcing. And he, get, he once gave an interview, I think, to the Swiss press, saying that um, saying that he wanted what inspired him to come, become a professional and to win bike races was this kind of daydream, this thought that um, if I go on to compete and win in bike races and become famous, then mum and dad will have to be kind of forced to come and see me race. And they'll both be at the race together and they'll get back together if I do that. <laughs> Oh dear. It's sad, it's isn't sad. it? It's really sad. Yeah. But, um, oh well. but a lovely guy and uh, quite a talent, really. Um, and there you go. So, and the story of the, um, well, I've kind of told you the Egan Bernal, Remco Evenepoel story from the GC group. There were other little splits then, therefore, because that group of four chinned off. Um, you know, once again, Simon Yates shipped a bit of time, etc., etc. But the real story was um, Attila Valta, who started in the in the white jersey, yeah. um, kind of survived and was in the second little GC group just behind the Avonapool group. And um, because he, he was 48 seconds or something off DeMarkey's time at the beginning, he's the new, he's the new Malia Rosa by 11 seconds to Remco Avonapool. That's crazy. And so I didn't actually know who he was, but you reminded me that... Um he was the, the famous puddle splasher from the worlds in Yorkshire. <laughs> he was puddle guy. Um, puddle guy. He, he was face planted like into that absolutely huge puddle and a time trial under 23s at the worlds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. It's, it's an well, amazing He hasn't, he hasn't done him. a great deal yet. I mean, he's signed for Groupama FDJ and we don't really know. We don't know too much about him, which is, he gave a great interview at the beginning of the day where Jeff Kenney interviewed him before the race because he was in the white jersey. And, and they said, and Jeff kind of said, what's the, what's the plan? You know, how are you going to try and hold on? What are you going to do today? Because it should be a GC day. And he said, I don't know. He's got excellent English. He said, I, I don't know. I, I could, you know, I could um, just try and see how long I can hang on to the, the GC group which is what he did very effectively in the end. Or he said, I could try and get in the breakaway because, um, cause I tell you what, the bunch, the rest of the race, they won't think of me as a GC racer. <laughs> ah, well, they can't, they, they kind of will now. They kind of, that's will. amazing. So is he like 24, 25? 22, David. Does, 22. 20, 24. 22. 22. 20, oh, come on. Of course on. he is. Ah, what's going on? Um, and then he gave, nice. so, 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 uh, sorry, on the subject of Hungary, he gave uh, on the world feed, he then, um, as often happens when uh, riders from, well, all nations really win. Jeff Canet, who does the interviews, the French journalist said, um, said, do you want to say something in Hungarian to your home audience? And he turned and he looked at the camera and he kind of said, he kind of said, Mm. 
which is what Hungarian sounds like to me because it's a bonkers <laughs> language, isn't it? Because it, it's related to Finnish and Estonian and it bears no relationship whatsoever mm. with either Latin, the Latin languages or the German languages, the Germanic languages. It comes from outer huh. space. It's like Basque. It's like Basque. <laughs> it's like Basque. I've just, yeah. I've just, I, um, I've just been, uh, I've just found out that it has a 44 letter phrase, a 44 letter word, David. I've, I've posted it to you on WhatsApp. Can you, can you read, yeah. can you read it out to us? Um, let me have a go. Uh, Mexican, second, Yeah, I think that's right. And, um, what does it mean? Um, it means for your continued behavior as if you could not be desecrated. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, it's not actually used in daily conversation on a regular basis. Oh. Um, oh. Still, that's pretty. I didn't know any of that about Hungary, Hungarian. Yeah. But it's like Basque Country. The Basque Country just is plucked from outer space as well, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think the I Finnish, don't. the kind of Finno Hungarian, the Magyar languages, I think they originate in kind of Central Asia somewhere. Huh. Uh, so they don't, yeah, they don't have any kind of shared, um, shared heritage with the other major European languages. And there is also, there is a theory that Magyar explorers reached America, um, before Columbus. Really? Well, so did the Chinese. Uh, did they? Yeah. I think probably quite a lot of people made it there before Columbus, to be fair. Ah. Um, the Chinese, there was a, oh, what was it? I need to look that up. 1441. Floating fact of Earth. I got the floating fact. Focus <laughs> coming. Warning. Incoming. Incoming. Warning. Incoming. <laughs> I got the book here somewhere. I've got to find it. It's 1441. It's about. It's um, quite specific for a floating this, fact. Go on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was this, this great Chinese, um, uh, basically expedition and they went around the whole world i mean it's, it's pretty crazy i'll look up some of those facts for tomorrow because that's a good one it's actually a really interesting story but they, there was this huge fleet that that left i can't remember was it the ming dynasty or something i can't remember it's, it's, it's really amazing um they're just floating facts out there i'm looking it up I'm, i can't can't do this yeah you wanted to name you wanted to name a dynasty that it might have happened in and all you can think of was ming which kind of it's true though it's a bit low hanging fr- low hanging fruit that one i know that is super low hanging fruit but it, that's the reason isn't it yeah. um or is it 1448 anyway i'll look it up and try and find well, it because it's, it's it's very interesting in in america yeah. in the in the yarmouth county museum I don't actually know where Yarmouth is in the States. There's probably lots of them. But in the Yarmouth County Museum, there is a a stone which is inscribed with an early form of old Hungarian on it. And on the basis of that, uh, there is a theory that the uh, that the Magyar people um, got there before Columbus. I, I have to say the, the evidence is a little bit underwhelming, I think, because I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it now and it's just a lump of rock with some with some inscription on it that could have been done any any time, really. Could have been done in 1983 and just dumped in the Yarmouth County Museum just as a kind of, tu- yeah. just as a tourist attraction, really. And then they put it out there on the internet. We've got the evidence of Magyar, Magyar's settling in Yarmouth. <laughs> there you go. The, it was, it was called Zheng He. Okay. It was a Chinese mariner, explorer, diplomat, fleet admiral, and, and court eunuch during China's early Ming dynasty. Okay. Good. There you go. And yeah, no, no, it's, it's, um, I had to get more facts than that, but yeah. It's uh, oh, capture, castration, and service. Anyway, he's um, it's really interesting, and it's a great book. I read it years ago about this. Um, but yeah, and there's, there's actually it's been shown that they did go to all these places: Australia, North America, um, but didn't actually go and claim it as perhaps 
the, the European explorers were doing. They were actually kind of more of a, on an investigatory tour to see what was out there and then returned with no ambition of conquering these countries. So yeah, it's very fascinating. Well, so, so they came back, so they came back and went, so how was it in, yeah. how was it in the world you can't see over the horizon? And he said, yeah. and he would have said, yeah, it's all right. It's pretty good. It's all right. It's not bad. Some, it's not bad. Some, tre- some sketches. Some trees, bears and stuff. And you know, yeah. some, some local folk who seem quite nice with um, bo- <laughs> bows and arrows and feathers um, in their hair. And yeah. um, anyway, not much to see. So I don't think we'll go back. Is that what this yeah, is? That said, so, yeah, because we've got China. Uh, th- to be honest, to be honest with you, that's a long and the short of it, actually, Ned. I mean, I was like, no, nah, we're fine here. Like, why don't we just build a build, build a wall? Yeah, let's, let's get, just. Uh, what we're we messing around? Stay just here. let's just stay here. And I tell you <clears> what, get 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 cracking on that wall because because we need that to keep the um, Hungarians out from over the border. Mm. Attila Valter yeah. and his mob. <laughs> Palmer FDJ. So yeah, keep them out. Um, what about Rudy? Can I just ask your opinion on something. <laughs> um, <laughs> on Tom Dumoulin. He's coming. Yeah. He's coming back racing. Yeah, I was quite surprised Tom by Dumoulin. that. He's, he's um, announced that he's going to be racing the Tour de Suisse, which is a normally a kind of week long stage race that is a, a preliminary to the Tour de France. <clears> so, but in, in this case, I don't think he will be. It normally has a time trial in it, doesn't it, David? You've, you will have raced that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's kind of like a Dauphiné, isn't it? So another one of those mini yeah. um, Tour de France prep races. But I was surprised. It seemed quite um, sudden. Sudden and dramatic when he stopped. And then it kind of. But that's. He's actually just had a normal break now yeah and yet it was all quite um but i mean fair enough interesting i guess he just needed it he's just been frazzling himself the last few years hasn't he yeah i think he's been he's not like he's done that i think he's been hasn't he been ticking over with the with training and everything so presumably he's been on some mm. sort of he'll be on a bit of a boot camp situation now to get himself race ready but um from what i understand david his target isn't i don't think he's i don't well they've announced their tour de france team and he's not in it so mm. um his target is the Olympic Games in Tokyo, isn't it? The, the individual time trial. Oh, that makes sense. Well, it, yeah, yeah. Except that Philippe Ogana will be there, so kind of makes sense. Uh, God, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's got rolled in the old generation. T- I had a pretty good run for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. What's happening in the race today? Now? Well, uh, just, well, just before we leave the race from yesterday, did you see the? Incident with the uh, bike exchange, Seri. Peter Seri and, yeah. the, and the bike exchange car. Mm. Did you see that? That wasn't you very seen cool. That? Yeah, I, I seen just the helicopter, just a brief bit. So he was dropping back and just got knocked off by the car. Well, they rode it. Kind I mean, it's the sort of thing that happens on the old Kent Road. You know, yeah, very much so. It's it was a um, it was a it was an RTA, wasn't it? It was incredible. I see the drivers now. Being Gene Bates has been expelled off the race for it, and um. Well, Matt White find the only explanation really for that happening is I mean the driver just can't have been looking forwards because he would have seen him you know it wasn't <clears> like a it wasn't a sudden movement from Seri he he'd done his turn on the front of the bunch and was just dropping back slowly and um uh, so he was highly visible and the uh, but what mm. was what was <coughs> excuse me what was slightly strange about the situation was the bike exchange car at the back of the peloton was kind of accelerating and moving up alongside quite a narrow road alongside the race director's car. This is kind, this is an interesting detail. It doesn't in any way uh, diminish the blame attached to the director sportif who should behind the wheel, who should always have been looking, you know, at what was on the road, but it does, but it does kind of explain some of the chaos of the, of the, the convoy. Um, 
he came alongside the race director's car and you can see on the helicopter shot that some that that something is handed between the two cars in the rear passenger seats between the mechanic in the um, in the back of the bike exchange car and someone from the the passenger seat at the back of the, in the race director's car and what that thing was was um some uh, either a bit of clothing or a bead on us, probably a bit of clothing actually that had been discarded by one of the bike exchange riders earlier on in the race and handed to the race director's car. Hmm. Okay. So the race director's people, folk, were actually just returning it to the bike exchange folk. It might actually even have been litter. Um, because of the stringent hmm. rules in place uh, for the riders now, you know, in terms of not littering outside of the official zones, because you can get penalised for that. Um, riders have got into the habit now, quite understandably, of actually discarding their litter when they've got no other choice and handing it to any vehicle on the road, whether that's a TV moto or a, a neutral service car, or in this case, the race director's car. And then it was just being handed over and returned. I mean, it makes me think it's probably not litter, because why would you return litter? Um, but But... So that was what was going on, I think. But um, either way, yeah, it was it was inexcusable and actually horrible, and it could have been could have been worse. I mean, t- to be honest, I, you know what's really bad is could have could have run him over. Is it could have because actually it was only three a month ago that um, Seri had been knocked off by a motorbike at Volta Catalunya. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. So he's having a real bad run. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens maybe to a rider once in their career, but to happen have that happen. And you're kind of the last two races you've done is, Oof. yeah, that's, um, that's pretty bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. actually, you know, what, you, you know, we were just joking about the wall, great wall of China. Mm. That, that's actually a fact. Well, upon his return to China abandoned the strategy of annual land expeditions and instead embarked upon a massive and expensive, expensive expansion of the great wall of China <laughs> in that environment. <coughs> funding, funding for naval expeditions was simply absent. Wow, so we so, yeah. we tripped over a fact. We just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, we literally tripped over a fact. <laughs> wow. That's how yeah. yeah. Well, you're welcome, world. Oh gosh. Um Yeah. Are you saying that so That's the whole that. time that I've just been talking about the bike exchange incident, you've actually just been Googling Ming Dynasty China ta- you know, global strategies. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah I'm well, kind of down you weren't really listening, were you? No, I interject with the Catalonia moment. That's, so actually, I was that's listening. a good fact. I didn't realise yeah. it. I didn't realise yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. You've um, got some you've got some any other business today, haven't you? Well yeah, because I was you know we were talking yesterday about I was gonna think about the world and and life yesterday on my drive. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Not, you didn't well, I, really reach I any did. conclusion. So you said on the way back, you're going to try, yeah. you're going to try and figure it all out. <laughs> so I, I was thinking a lot about it because I was thinking about, um, I'd been at this, this event in the Basque country and I was talking about cycling because they're trying to kind of, um, make it a cycling destination. Victoria. Um, in Victoria. Mm. In Victoria. And it's a beautiful city and it's, it's very Basque, but it's, it's one, um, the most sustainable city in Europe twice i think in the last decade or something and and i was thinking about sustainability and bikes and cars mm-hmm. and because with chapter three i'm doing a lot of sustainable stuff it's all recycled um fabrics we're bringing factories close to home we're just doing as i think most companies are at least trying to so we've made that big jump into really doing it the best that we can and you think a lot about cycling i know you're big on this and you're not into cars mm. And I was, uh, I was in this car and I was thinking, guys, uh, if you think about a bike, it's only 10 kilos. And yet the, 
going around his cars are, are what a ton and a half. Some of the big ones, two tons, one person. That's a lot of energy for for one person. Yeah, and um, to be using. And we've talked about this before. I'm going to go down quite a, a rabbit hole here, by the way. Oh, go um, for it. And I'm not sure if I'll get back out of it. Okay. You know, we've spoken before about um, the biosphere and how we've been heating it up the last couple of hundred years. Um, in the sense, since the Industrial Revolution. Uh, and our increases in technology. Yes. We've actually been kind of probably been doing a bit too much and spending a bit too much energy. Um, all that energy developed heat because it's a second law of thermodynamics, what? which is, okay. which is basically the idea that, um, energy only goes in one direction. Uh, it's always expending. And then you go into a thing called entropy, oh. which is the whole universe is going to eventually just get cold because oh, all oh, of that energy is okay. being used up. Let me pause you there. Can I pause you there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Just to drop it while you, while you just go again, because you can't, but you can't just mm-hmm. sit on the front all the time. We've got to go through and off here a little bit. Yeah. I'll pause you there. Uh, just to do, I think I've told you this before, but in terms of the, the entropy of the universe, all energy oh, will good. Here we go. all energy will dissipate, won't it? All every star, yes. every sun will die, right? Exactly. And 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 when it di- when the last sun dies, and the last kilojoule or joule of energy has been dissipated and spent, the universe will be dead. All mm-hmm. uh, because there's no energy in the universe any longer. Nothing can change because change can only be affected with energy and if there's a dynamic system if there's no change there is no time because time is simply a measurement of change yeah, yeah you so, so, so time stops okay and this is this is the death of everything this is the death of the universe um so it's the idea of absolute zero it's absolute it? zero and it, and, it, goes, and, it, yeah. and it will happen in the future so you may be forgiven mm. for asking well when's this going to happen then you know how many more years have we got okay they think they suggest that there are more um there are more years before that happens than there are atoms in the universe so quite a long time okay carry on <clears throat> thank you ned um so and the thing the second law of thermodynamics which is actually the law kind of thing because it superseded the first one, the first law, which is a prelude to that, is they figured that one out during the Industrial Revolution when they were trying to optimize steam engines mm-hmm. and trying to to make them. They figured, well, it's losing all this heat. Can't we capture that heat and turn that into energy as well mm-hmm. and and make what would essentially be called a perpetual motion engine? Oh, yeah. So that's the holy grail. Like, that's like alchemy. It's the it? holy grail, yeah. Yeah. isn't it? Um, and they realized after a while, it's just impossible. It's impossible because um, that heat is always going to go somewhere. And this is the idea of the second law where they realize that whatever they do, it's you can't stop it happening. And this is that idea that and, – and, and then I was thinking about this. This is where I started thinking in the car about all this, was that's what we've been doing. We've been accelerating kind of all this energy we're pushing out. We're, we're increasing more heat. You look at the amount of – just the amount of stuff we have. And and it's a kind of it's quite an elegant way of thinking of sustainability and what we're doing is just and this is where we're saying about talking about reduction. And you think, imagine if you got to a point where cities were just everybody was on bikes and you started to take the cars out and you started to to really minimize everything down and, and become more efficient. And that's what we have to do because at the moment what we're doing is we're just we're literally pumping out so much heat with everything we do. And this is the problem. And this is why we're damaging our biosphere. 
So basically, it all comes back down to that thing where we've got to start minimizing. And perhaps with what's happened with the pandemic, and the fact everything's shut down and it's quieter, I mean, I hardly ever see planes in the sky. There's less traffic on the road. There's less traveling. You think, perhaps this is the way we have to go, is we start to live closer. Why do we need cars? Mm. You know, why do we need these things? We need to start having a, a, a much more efficient world and life in order to stand a chance of not cooking our biosphere up and, and changing it. Not for the planet will be fine because it will just adjust. But for us, we're finely tuned to this climate and have been over millennia. Now in the space of two centuries, we're totally changing our biosphere and the planets. And when people say save the planet, that's not a, the planet's fine. It's us they're gonna, uh, that are in trouble yeah. because we've got too technologically advanced and we're burning too much energy. And it's this, so that, that was my, that was my drive back really. No, it went from entropy to bikes and wow. a 10 kilo bike versus a 10 and a half car. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And we're just accelerating. We're just right. accelerating Complete it. Your own. It's just a shame. Because, but welcome. Yeah. So, so welcome to one of my big passions. As you say, I'm quite, I'm quite invested in this. And actually for the last year, David, I've been, I've been, um, co-hosting a podcast about this ah. called streets ahead with uh, Laura Laker and Adam Tranter. And the three of us have been discussing these very issues for the last year. So oh, have, a, have a little listen to that if you want to streets ahead podcast um, in my other life. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you, no, completely. You're absolutely right. And then you just need to look at, you know, all the statistics that suggest that uh, most car, the majority of car journeys in urban settings and in London are less than one mile. It's, I mean, yeah. it's just insanity. It's just insanity. So it's just insane. We have to we have to move to bikes. We have to do it. I think it's the it's the future. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you think of everyone goes goes, it's just going bonkers for Tesla, electric cars, and stuff. Oh, it's just think, replacing one form it. of a, a carnage with a, another one. I mean, it's there's all sorts that of problems. Made? That's yeah, and that's like two tons of uh, just kind the of carbon debt that you, like, that you inherit yeah. um, by just purchasing a Tesla, a Tesla. Or another yeah. electric car. I mean, the, the batteries themselves, the batteries, the way they're mined, where you source the cadmium mm. from, that's a whole problem in itself. You know, Democratic Republic of Congo is a big producer of cadmium, all sorts of ethical issues. Really, really need to think twice if you're just thinking an electric car is the silver bullet, because it ain't. The, the silver bullet is just don't buy a car if you can. I mean, buy a Brompton. it's incredibly difficult proposition for lots of people who rely on, you know, but at the core of it all, and I'm, I'm very conscious of this because I'm charging around Italy in a car because there's literally no other way of doing this job if mm. I'm on the road. But in the rest of my life, you know, I don't own a car. And anyway, listen to Streets Ahead podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. And I mean, I think that's, that's yeah. what we're trying to do now. At chapter three has become the most sustainable company we can and uh, just do everything. And which is, is sort of oxymoronic because we're a consumption business. Yeah. In the sense, we're trying to get people to buy, buy stuff, stuff. That, yeah. Yeah. buy stuff. And it's, so you're going to make stuff that lasts longer, that's made properly. Well, I remember and you once, made responsibly. I remember you once criticizing me for buying cheap watches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause there you go. I get through, I get through cheap watches cause I refuse to talking to which, right? How, much you know that watch that mark cavendish wears that yellow watch uh, the richard mule what tell me about that again because someone someone's telling it's me about 100k watch isn't it I, I think i think it might be more than that 200k something like that. 200k and he wears it you know he wears it in bike races doesn't he oh my god oh yeah i guess maybe that's the deal yeah it's crazy though isn't but, it it's crazy yeah well you'd hope if it was 200k watch that it could survive a crash yeah. 
Yeah. Probably the only thing left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a cockroach. <laughs> cockroach <laughs> in a nuclear holocaust. What's today's race? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of a bunch sprint. It's got, it's not as straightforward as it was the other day where Caleb Ewan, that was pan flat because it, um, we go back to the Adriatic coast. We're actually going to reach the southernmost point of this year's Giro d'Italia, um, on the Adriatic coast, which is the right hand side of Italy. As you look at the boot, it finishes in Termoli, which is in the very small region. I think it's the smallest region of Italy um, called Molise. And um, it's just above, you know, the spur on the boot of the Italian. We're just above there, basically, just about two thirds of the way down the peninsula in Termoli. Um, but I think it'll be a sprint. Um, there's one or two complications on the way in, um, but it's a seaside resort. And uh it's one of them. So it's the battle between Malia Grunewagen, who didn't feature at all in the sprints the other day, two days ago, really. And um, for my money, all eyes will be on. Uh, now, my favourite story with the sprints stages is the totally dysfunctional UAE Team Emirates lead-out train, uh, which just um, doesn't work very well. <laughs> Which is just, it's just, yeah, it's just rubbish. It's, it's uh, really rubbish. They're it's, all over the place. Sebastian Milano, Juan Sebastian Milano, Max Riquese, who used to be a brilliant lead-up man when he was riding for Quickstep. So strange, isn't it? Like all these sprinters. Lost his mojo. Well, when you go to Quickstep, you're just a world-class sprinter. Or if you're a lead-up man, when you're at Quickstep, you're world-class. And that applied to Max Riquese, um, Fabio Zabatini. It now applies to Michael Mercu, doesn't it? Who is, who, when he was at Katusha, wasn't particularly eye-catching as a lead-out man, but now he's just immense. And then they mm. then they move on and kind of like, it doesn't really work as well. So, And Gaviria yeah. himself, of course, is a great sprinter, wasn't he, when, when he was at um, Quick Step with Riquezi. And uh, it's just a bit all over the place. And it's quite frustrating for yeah. Gaviria because I think he's got really good legs. But um, yeah, it's just all over the place. Yeah. 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 Very good. Bike race. Yeah. yeah. You'll just be watching, right. you'll just be watching Remco though, won't you, really? That's just yeah, Rem- about Rem- Rem- have, you got a, cam. have you got a poster for your wall? You know what? I might get one. I think you should. I might I might put posters up in my son's room just to start indoctrinating them. Yeah, do. Yeah. I'm sure you could get That's like if you search online, you could, I'm sure De Kernink must have kind of like sponsor photos. Oh, you know, they'll have super cool ones where he's like in a, in a, in a, in a pillow fight or something. Oh, slightly wacky. So characterful. Yeah. The, the old wacky De Kernick ones. Yeah, that's true. Or a lime or, in a mattress. Or Lidl. Or, Lidl is a co-sponsor, like him in a... Th- uh, with a shopping trolley. Shopping trolley. <laughs> Remco with, with a shopping trolley. Or quick- Didn't they do that last year for the Tour de France or two years? They had a press conference at, at Lidl. Yeah, it was great. And they were like walking and around with... Um, do you remember Rendolero? Did, yeah, Rendolero interviewed Fernando yeah. Gaviria in the fruit and veg aisle. Do you remember that? Uh, and they, they yeah, were kind of you. chatting about mangoes and pawpaw <laughs> papayas and things as they were putting them in the shopping trolley. Rendell loved it. He absolutely loved it. He's all over that. <laughs> Are we going to get Rendellero on one day? I should do, shouldn't we? Yeah. We should do, because he's all over yeah. the Giro. He's the guy, by the way, if you're watching the bike race today or over the weekend, go onto the Giro d'Italia um, official website and look at the live race kind of feed. And uh, Matt Rendell's doing that. So all the um, historical mm. stuff. I mean, you'll, as soon as you see this kind of stuff that gets posted, you'll go, oh yeah, that's Rendell. That's Rendell. <laughs> that's Rendell. Yeah. It's just insanely yeah. interesting as well. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, all right. Okay. We better go. All right. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Bye, Ned. Bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 